door. Open your Bibles. First John, chapter number three. First John, chapter three. And we often joke about driving and everything around here, you know. Uh, but I really, uh, I really believe that had Jesus come during our day, one of the parables he would have used would be that of driving. Uh, I think he would uh, use that parable time and time again. Uh, I'm amazed uh, every time I get on the road anymore. And my daughter learning how to drive, I, I just I fear for her safety. Um, <laughs> But uh, we, we come to a portion of Scripture here in 1 John that, that I believe will help us if we let it. Look with me, if you would, 1 John chapter number 3, starting in verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. Father, bless now the reading of your word and our life to its application. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, I'm uh, uh, talking on the whole subject of driving. Jim asked me not too long ago if I golfed. No. I, I told him, I said, I don't golf. I, my, I, I paint my testimony when I golf. Uh, but after that, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, if that's the reason I don't golf, perhaps I shouldn't drive either, because I, I am amazed at how many um, how many proctologists are on the road today, because they drive so close to you that I, I don't I don't know. Maybe they're just mechanics and they're trying to get a closer look at the car. I don't know, but. Um, uh, but I have to examine myself often for the strength to simply get down the road and try to make it to the next stop sign, you know. Um, and, and, and I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this kind of stuff. Uh, we all know that there have been 
um, or we've been in that position, you know, where we acted like a fool. Have you, have you ever done that one and then you, you drive away? Yeah, see, you, you act like an idiot and then you drive away thinking to yourself, well, I'm glad that wasn't somebody I know, right? And, and it, well, oh, what if that was somebody from the church? And, you know, uh, what if that was somebody that I worked with and they watched me act like that? And we think of those things. We, we can excuse it. We actually walk away from those situations thinking that way, and we excuse it by saying, well, they aren't a believer, and, uh, and if they had uh, been a believer, they wouldn't have, would not have acted the way they did, which caused me to act the way I did, right? We try to, it, it's always somebody else's fault when we act that way. It's always somebody else's fault. Uh, I mean, after all, though, we completely ignore the way we acted because we forget that we, too, are sinners. You know? Understand something. Sinners are going to act like sinners. That's what they do. Sinners act like sinners. I know, I know it, it, that may blow some of our minds, um, uh, but we look at many times the way we're treated, uh, the way uh, the, the world treats us, and then uh, the way uh, that they, uh, maybe somebody else drove caused me to get upset, and that's the reason why I drove the way I did. Uh, after all, uh, uh, if it was a Christian that, uh, that I was working with, you know, things would have been different. Have you ever done that? You put on the Christian face for your brothers and sisters in the church, uh, and, and if you're like, well, I never do that. Think about the time that you were in an argument with somebody. Maybe you were you were going back and forth with them, and you were you were mad about something, and you were just uh, ripping them uh, uh, up one side and down the other. And then the phone rings, and you uh, you reach into your pocket, you pull up the phone. Hello, right? Or you look and you go, oh, it's, it's no, I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> you, you, right? We we know how we do this stuff. We know what we're doing. The thing that we have to understand, we need to be careful because many times we look at other people and their sins and we become judge and jury of everyone else. Forgetting to look in the mirror and take care of numero uno. Time for us to pay attention. And John here, he does a masterful job of just kind of laying something out for us, uh, remembering that John has been trying to convey uh, a basic point here. Uh, all, of, all of this book uh, has been pivotal so far in understanding what we're doing, what we're going to do, how we're living the Christian life. And John is writing, it's important for us to remember, he is writing to uh, those who have experienced some sort of exodus within their church they were believers, he's writing to a group of believers, a body of believers, and a bunch of people decided to leave because of improper doctrine, and they were following the Gnostic Gospels, and, and this, uh, uh, this mass accident had happened here. And apparently these Gnostics had not just infiltrated the church, but they had infiltrated the minds of some of the people within the church, and they had started to pull them away. They began to sow seeds of false doctrine, and there were many who left the church and followed after these false teachings. Now, as a result, put yourself in there. Put yourself in the minds of the people of that day. Put yourself in that church of that day. I, I'm sure as a result, there began to be questions from some of the people of how they can be sure, know for sure, that they are truly saved. 
And the Apostle John recognized these questions because I don't know about you, but when, all, when this group of people start to move on, you, you, you have to at some point question to yourself, are, are we staying because we know what we're doing is right or are we not, maybe, maybe we should be going too? Maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're following the right direction. And we, we start to question, and John puts it out for us here wonderfully, beautifully. He lets us know uh, many different ways that we can examine ourselves and know whether or not we truly are born again by the Spirit of God. Now, here is the, the, the caveat that we have to take into consideration before we go any further. I've made this statement time and time again through this study. And I think it, it's important for us to be reminded of it regularly. This is not a book written for you to judge everybody else's salvation. It's a book written for you to examine yourself to see if you are born again by the Spirit of God. That's what this is all about. But so often we read things like, well, they went out from us proving that they were not of us, and our mind goes, yep, they were gone, they're not one of ours, they're not us. They're not like me. Good riddance. No, 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 no. It's written for the hope that we will examine ourselves to see are we truly in the body? Are we truly born again by the Spirit of God? How do I know that I'm doing what's right? Not how do I know what they're doing and if they're doing what's right. And so we've got to get ourselves back into that frame of mind as we go. And so now we come to the point that John is simply trying to relay here uh, and, and as we look at it, he gives us yet another test, another opportunity for us to see. Um, uh, you know, too often we get the wrong emphasis on the incorrect syllable. You know, and our emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Some of you Grammarians may have caught that a little earlier. But <clears throat> what we need to understand is: Do I have this kind of life? Can this be true of me, or is it not? And so as he kind of comes down through this, he, he puts it out there, do I make a practice of righteousness or do I make a practice of sin? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 15 through 23, go there with me if you would before we move too much further. Keep your hand or, or put a bookmark in 1 John. Go to Matthew chapter 7. And I want us to note something here that is of of great importance that we we read with the mind of thinking of other people. And Jesus didn't say it with that mindset. He said it thinking of you, thinking of me. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, catch this, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Again, many times we'll read this passage, and we will use it only to examine the others, the false teachers, the wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, not everyone, in verse 20, 21, he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying those people. He's saying you need to pay close attention. And he, if you think to yourself, well, it's not me. I, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I work with the, with the music ministry. I, I, I help out with the Awana clubs, and, and I go on outreach, and I go on visitation, and I preach. I street preach or whatever it may be. And, and, uh, he, even, he even puts the, uh, uh, the, the caution flag there. He says in verse 22, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we even cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And so we got to be careful. We're not exempt from this church. It's very possible that many people here this morning, under the sound of my voice, will not know, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven because they don't truly know him. And Jesus says it this way, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. This is what we've got to get under our, uh, under our uh, radar here and start to focus on. We've got to quit judging whether this person knows God, whether that person knows God. We're not going to sing this song because that person doesn't know God. or We're not going to go to this place because those people don't know God. We're not going to listen to this kind of preaching because he doesn't preach my style, my flavor. We're not going to do these kinds of Stop it. Get yourself with God. That's the focus. He says, I never knew you. I fully believe. I've had people ask me this before. You know, what, you know what's going to happen when, when uh, the rapture takes place? There's going to be a lot of empty churches, won't there? I don't believe so. I believe churches will continue. I believe people will show up for church services and wonder what happened. I believe there are going to be pastors still occupying their pulpits. And they're going to say, rapture didn't take place. I'm still here. <laughs> God's looking going, it took place. You just didn't make it. Because I never knew you. This is serious business, folks. And we've got to quit looking at, well, when I was 15 years old, or when I was 5 years old, or when I was 12 years old, when I was 30 years old, I read the back of a track and it said, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And I said, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to pray a prayer. That's not salvation, beloved. The call of Jesus was not repeat this prayer so you can go to heaven. The call of Jesus was follow me. The call of Jesus was come unto me. He says, do what I do. Learn of me. It had nothing to do with any of the external things that we, we constantly focus on. Are, are you a member? Have you been this? Have you done this before? Has there been a time in your life? Stop. You want, John puts it real simple. You want to know if, you, if you're sure, sure that you are born again by the Spirit of God? Are you following Christ? That, I mean, you can pretty much sum up the entire book of 1 John by that statement alone. If you want to know, surely, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, does your life reveal it? I didn't ask. Do you, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know what, we, 
We don't watch TV in our home. Well, praise God for you. Oh, I can't believe you would let your children watch that show, Pastor. I teach them to not be judgmental. Is that not good enough? See, here's what we've got to get right. Do you know Him? I didn't say, do you know about Him? I said, do you know Him? There was a daredevil years ago. I remember this well because his name is reminiscent of mine. He was known as the Great Baldini. They named a piano after me, I hope you know. The bald one. But a couple of you are happy about that. The rest of you are like, that's just that's that's not dignified, preacher. Thank he he was he was known for stretching a tightrope over amazing heights. And he got up on this tightrope and he would walk to the other side and he would say, Who believes that I can walk back? And he'd walk to the other side again. He did this over Niagara Falls. Think about it. And then he pulls out a wheelbarrow and he walks it to the other side with a hundred pound sack of flour takes that 100-pound sack of flour out and says, who believes I can put a person in here and take them to the other side? And everybody, we believe they had watched him go back and forth, back and forth, right? And he said, we believe no one wanted to get in the wheelbarrow. He said, I need a volunteer. Silence in the crowd. You see, there's a difference between believing that Jesus can save you and following him and letting him save you. little girl finally in the back said, I'll do it, mister. See, she had the faith to get in. A lot of people, oh, I believe Jesus can save. Matter of fact, (laughs) I've even prayed the sinner's prayer a few times. (laughs) Have you followed him? Have you gotten in the wheelbarrow? Now let's look quickly in the time that we have left to us at a few things about this. Notice uh, back in 1 John chapter 3, Look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Notice first how the apostles make it clear that the reason a child of God will not remain in sin is because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is also important to note the wording of this passage. The phrase, he cannot sin, uh, from the Greek, Hamartano, which means cannot remain in sin, practice regularly. And so that person who is uh, is okay to excuse it and just kind of move on, uh, it can be better understood this way. It, he cannot be a sinner. Now, that doesn't mean that he'll never sin again. Because I want us to understand that there is a difference between the act of sin and the condition of remaining in sin. There's a difference. The born-again child of God will note his sin and will want to move away from his sin. He is okay to be pointed out that what you are doing is not right. He's okay with that. He is going to desire to move closer to God and not stay where he is in his sinful state. This is not uh, not saying that uh, whoever's born again by the Spirit of God is perfect. Wrong. Wrong. Paul proved it. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. 
I guess he wasn't saved? No. He was born again by the Spirit of God. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus. As Paul said right here, his seed. Notice what he says in, in John. He said, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. In other words, God planted something in him, and there's going to be growth. Guaranteed. Because God is going to continue to water that seed, and it's going to grow. If there is no growth, there is no life. If there is truly born life, there will be growth. This isn't popular preaching. You know, people are like, well, you make me feel better. You know, I'm, I'm trying to. Because if, if you don't have a genuine, true relationship with Jesus Christ, what can I better do than to introduce you to Him? Verse 10, notice what it says with me. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Again, put yourself back in the early church's day. In that, uh, that church there in Ephesus when... Uh, uh, when uh, uh, they started. People started to sow these seeds of the Gnostic Gospels, and, and things started to come out, and people started to walk away. Uh, a group of people leave uh, the body to follow after false doctrine, and they're undoubtedly saying pretty harsh things about about the ones that stayed. Sound familiar? I'm sure you've never been there. I wonder how much bitterness set into those people. As this early church was insulted and referred to as fools, as immature, I'm certain there was some hurt feelings, perhaps even some bitterness. And John puts his finger right on the problem. He says, love them. Love them. I don't know about you, but it's awful hard for me to love someone who's treating me vile. It's awful hard to love someone who's insulting me. It's difficult for me to love someone when there's absolutely nothing lovable about them at the moment. It's hard. <laughs> As we sang just a moment ago, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Place yourself there. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning. That, ye, uh, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. Think about what's being said here. Why did Cain slay his brother? Not because Abel was, was preferred, but because he was rejected. That's what the problem was. And Cain saw it as an affront to himself, and he did not like it. He took it, he hated it, and he decided, I'm going to get rid of the one that reminds me of being rejected. I'm reminded of Richard Wurmbrand. Richard Wurmbrand was one of those amazing men of God. And he understood what Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48 meant. 
You see, the standard way of living is to hate someone who is against you. But Jesus told His people, love them. He said, bless them. Do good to them. And pray for them. On February 29, 1948, a pastor was kidnapped from the streets of Romania. He would disappear for 14 years and endure horrific torture for his refusal to renounce Christ. And in the midst of this suffering, he witnessed the incredible power of Christ's love. After being arrested, I spent the next three years in a solitary cell. It was enough to drive any man mad. The martyr Savonarola wrote, There are those who believe in God, and those who, just as sincerely, believe that they believe. Now I had to ask myself, did I believe in God? We are persecuted, but not abandoned. So please do not abandon us. My wife, Sabina, had also been arrested. Sabina, My son, Mihai. Left orphan. Sabina would spend the next 18 months in a slave labor camp on the Danube. Sabina! Sabina! my darkest hours, my only hope was in prayer. Of course, in prison, prayer was forbidden. In spite of the beatings, I prayed every day. I prayed God would give me strength to endure. And of course, I prayed for my family.
My feet were beaten so often and so brutally. I would never walk normally again. I'm sorry if a crocodile eats a man, but I cannot reproach the crocodile. I had learned the same can be said of my torturers. Communism had stripped them of any form of humanity. And only God's love could restore them. I hated the sin, but never the sinner. And some, we even won to Christ. question that may come to your mind is how? How can someone pray for the very person who is torturing them? Yet not us, but through Christ in us. Beloved, that's what we're called to do. We're called to love that way. We're not called to seek retribution. We're not called to badmouth our torturers. We are called to love. The example of Jesus is to love the unlovable. Understand, love is not a feeling or an emotion. It is an action, a verb. It is an act of service. Bless them. Do good to them. Pray for them. Let me ask you, have you been praying for your enemies? Have you been praying for your persecutors? This is the call of Jesus. Again, the question was simply this. How can I be sure that I am a child of God? Or better, how do I know that they are not right? And I should be following their path? Well, Jesus put it this way. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love even our enemies. 
Now many will undoubtedly, uh, undoubtedly say, well, Jesus must be talking about brothers uh, or fellow believers, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, don't forget in Luke chapter 10, a lawyer tried to justify himself by saying this, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus starts to tell him the story of the great Samaritan. I didn't say that wrong. He is great. He is great. And Jesus said, who acted most neighborly? He said, the one that actually did something for him. Basically, from a biblical standpoint, Jesus teaches that your neighbor is anyone in front of you. There's no stopping the greatest commandment of love God and love others. Just when you join a church doesn't mean that you only have to love your fellow church members. You see, Jesus was willing to lay down His life. And look at what it says here. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Be honest. Who are you not willing to lay your life down for? Now, we can easily attach this simply to monetary things. If you notice verse 17 and 18, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need shutteth up his bowels of compassion on how dwelleth the love of God in him. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We can easily just make it all about giving something. Listen, <laughs> I was out not too long ago and there were a couple homeless gentlemen. I was getting ready to walk into a uh, Dunkin' Donuts and they asked me, they said, can you, can you spare a couple dollars? And as is typically the case, I don't have cash on me. I just, I just don't. And not because I'm hyper-spiritual, but I think the child in me came out. And I remember Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palm. And this is what Peter did say. And I said, you know, guys, I don't, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I'd love to give you. Can I sit down and talk with you for a minute? I had a couple of those little Gospels of John that we have out here on the table. I gave them each one of them. I said, let me just tell you what I can give you. The truth of Jesus Christ. It's all I've got to give. I don't have anything else. Now, the question in how we can apply this to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I don't have love, no matter what I do, it's sounding brass tinkling cymbal. So let me ask it this way. The closest word that is translated from the word agape in the Greek is not just love, but it's charity because it costs you something. It costs you something. What are you not willing to sacrifice in order to show love to someone today? Is there anything more valuable than your life? This is what Jesus says. If we, uh, John wrote it down. He says, He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our life. 
What is it I'm not willing to sacrifice? Do you have love for your fellow man? Or are you filled with bitterness, hatred, anger, sorrow, animosity? What are you not willing to lay down? What are you not willing to sacrifice? Your pride? Your money? Your opinion? Your way? By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is what John's teaching. My friends, Jesus said to love one another, and he said it this way. He said, that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. You know why? I'm convinced that many people don't experience the joy of the Christian life because they're too self-centered. They don't have love. We forget Him, and that makes us forget to love others. You see, whenever I find myself at odds, and I'm closing my Bible, so you know I'm done. You can wake up your neighbor. Whenever I find myself at odds with someone or something, it's usually because I'm focused on me. I'm focused on my right of way or, or, or how close they are to me. Or, or I'm thinking about myself and, and I begin to think of them less. I get more potential to get mad and get upset. Hmm. And so I simply want us to focus for just a moment. Here in a moment, we're actually going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is what it's supposed to symbolize. We've got the bread, which is to symbolize the body of Christ, which is broken for us. We've got the juice, which is to symbolize the blood of Christ, which was spilt for us. And as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the Lord's table, I want us to think, what causes my love of others? It's not them. It's not me. It's the love of God in me. And if I don't have the love of God in me, There's only one solution for that. Follow 